everybody. I want to welcome you back to the EI on the Fly podcast about all things early intervention. I'm Dana Childress and I work in Virginia with our early intervention professional development team. Um, And I want to introduce Emily, my co-host. Do you want to introduce yourself, Emily? Sure. I'm Emily Webb and I work for the Early Intervention Training Center here in Massachusetts. And I have to tell you, I feel like I do this every time, but I'm excited about this episode because I've been really thinking a lot since the last time you and I talked and recorded about how you were really talking about functional assessment being a mindset. Mm -hmm. And that was like a big kind of like aha for me. And I've been thinking a lot about that. So I'm excited to continue talking about functional assessment and, and really sort of exploring um, how, how it can be more of a, like a mindset change versus like an activity change. That's really interesting because I think that's really relevant to this episode. So in this episode, we're talking about how to use functional assessment on an ongoing basis. And we'll tackle using functional assessment during your visits and even thinking about how it guides what happens between visits and maybe even an annual and six month IFSB reviews. So when you think about functional assessment from an ongoing perspective, it almost seems like it would have to be a mindset, wouldn't it? Because if it was just an activity, it's just going to pop up in certain places. But if we want to use functional assessment to guide everything we do, it might be a way of thinking about our work. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that weaves in today. Um, So just to catch anybody up who this might be their first episode they're listening to, in our previous episodes, um, we started out with an overview of functional assessment, and then we've tackled some components of functional assessment, including observation, asking meaningful questions, and active listening. We also talked about biases and how your own biases could be affecting um, the assessment information you gather. And in our last episode, we dove into functional assessment and the initial IFSP or Individualized Family Service Plan, talking about how that information that we gather guides the assessment narrative, which is part of the document, our um, writing outcomes with the family, and of determining services. So when we think about functional assessment, I think part of our message even to launch this episode is that just because you've gotten the IFSP written doesn't mean functional assessment stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's this idea of ongoing functional assessment. It's really thinking about it continues after that initial onboarding and after that IFSP is written, it doesn't stop. It's a continuous process. You know, when I talk about functional assessment to people, I think about like it's embedded in in all you do. Every time you're with a family, parts of what you're doing are functional assessment. And it's really essential for having individualized services, meaningful service delivery, and it really should be woven into every visit. I mean, families are are complicated, you know? And so we need to make sure that we're constantly doing the this idea of functional assessment and really understanding the family from their perspective so that we can individualize everything we do with that family. And it really is, you know, it's our responsibility as practitioners to be to ensure that we have functional assessment and make sure that it's a collaborative process and that we're exchanging parents and that we really are incorporating all of these components of functional assessment that we've already talked about in all our previous episodes. So I think when 
when I, as I'm listening to you, Emily, I was thinking, gosh, that could overwhelm somebody who's new to early intervention, you know, thinking <laughs> you have to be doing this all the time. It's your responsibility. All of that is absolutely true. But I hope that folks listening to the podcast will also recognize that they're probably already doing a lot of these components, yeah. especially when you think about using on using ongoing functional assessment during your visits. A good practitioner that's providing high quality services is always monitoring what's happening during the visit, is monitoring the child's progress. I think that progress monitoring, depending on your program, could be a more formal or informal process. I know here in Virginia, probably most of the time it's not a formal process, meaning we're not checking a checklist every time we go to see the child, but we're checking in with the family to see about progress, what's happened during the week, um, and to gather information from the family all the time about their changing priorities. What's the child like to do? What does he not like to do? Are there any new concerns? All of that stuff is going to change over time because kids and families change. I think it's also like stopping yourself and thinking, is what, am I being really intentional about what I'm about to say or maybe the strategy that I'm, I'm going to say or the technique I might use or how I'm going to sort of coach the parent through this next interaction. Um, just stopping for a moment and being like, am I making a really individualized decision and response in this moment and if not it's likely because you need to do a little bit more functional assessment information you need to gather a little bit more to ensure that your next step really is individualized based on the information you have from that family yeah and you know when you talk about intentional that's that mindset again i think you mentioned Mm -hmm. before so if we approach it from an intentional perspective you're right we're really aware of what we're doing and why so we're using our informed clinical opinion to monitor progress i think functional assessment is a real balance between taking our expertise what we know about child development and checking in regularly with the family to look for natural learning opportunities. What are they doing during the day when we're there and and all the other time when we're not there to address outcomes during those everyday interactions? I think it um, includes actively listening and intentionally, like you said, to ask parents about progress um, and being responsive to whatever they say. Um, I, I think the opposite of functional assessment during visits could look like you go in with a plan, you know what you want to work on with the child, you sit in the floor, you play with the baby, the parents watching, you do your thing, you're kind of the show. And then at the end of the visit, you tell the parent a couple things to do and you leave. Like that's not really what we're supposed to be doing in early intervention. And if you take that approach, it's there's pretty much not a whole lot of functional assessment going on. That's a very formal approach that isn't really a shared activity between the provider and the family. Mm-hmm. So let me let me kind of throw something out at you. Let me kind of give you an example. I'm going to play the part of the parent, and I'm going to have you kind of talk about the provider. I think it might help if we give people a sort of visualization of kind of what functional assessment might look at. So I'll give you a real life example. You know, my daughter Colette, she's in early intervention. She's almost three, she's gonna be three in August and we are starting to have a lot of trouble with whining. She whines a lot. It's very (laughs) stressful to my husband and I. Um, We are very overwhelmed by the whining. We definitely know that we are not, 
not only do we feel like we're not responding to it appropriately, we also don't feel like we're responding to it consistently. Like sometimes we lose our patience, sometimes we're really calm and we talk her through it, sometimes we offer her choices, but like she never knows when is the time that they're going to offer me a choice and when is the time like mom is going to be like, stop whining, just stop it right now. <laughs> um, so knowing that scenario in my house, uh, you know, I'd be curious to know, like, what steps would you take in terms of functional assessment to learn more about that and, and respond to me as the parent? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's always the thing. It's like, what would you do in that moment? I don't know until you get into it. But I think preparing ahead of time to think about the components of functional assessment we've talked about. So I think the active listening piece would probably be the first right off the bat is I'd really want to listen to what you're saying and how you're saying it, how you describe what's happening. And in your voice, I can hear how hard that is and that frustration. And I can certainly relate to having to deal with that day after day after day. So I'd probably want to ask you some questions, you know, ask you one and you kind of answered it a little bit, but more about when during the day, do you you hear the whining? Is it frequently enough that it feels like all the time or are there particular parts of the day that, that she's whining more? It's almost always when she wakes up from her nap. Okay. Um, it happens a lot around food. Okay. And it almost always happens at dinner time, and it could be about somebody sitting too close to her. It could be like the the she doesn't like that the baby's looking at her. Mm-hmm. It could be she's not happy that it's you know salad for dinner. There's not like a predictable thing that sets her off at dinner, but usually dinner ends up in some sort of crazy whining episode. Okay. So, so it sounds like you see some patterns, but then there's also times when it's just hard to tell even what's, what's happening when you said the crazy salad thing, like it's hard to know why. So I think asking the meaningful questions as the practitioner would want to dig in a little bit more to find out not only what you see, but also maybe what you've also already tried. And so with the, with finding out what a family's already tried, that could be some more meaningful questions that could also be some observation, especially if the, if her whining happens during your visit. So if I I might want to know a little bit more about why, why do you think she might be whining? Let's take the dinner episode or the after the nap. I guess you as the parent could pick the one that's the most troublesome for you. But what's your sense of why she might be whining? What do you think she's trying to communicate? I think that she knows she wants to communicate something, but she's not always sure of what she wants to communicate and how she wants to communicate. I also, and like, this feels hard to say as a parent. Mm -hmm. I think we, my husband and I try to be really consistent, but the reality is she's one of four under the age of six. And I think she doesn't always know if her requests are going to get met immediately or if it's going to be like, yep, hold on a minute. Or... Um, Is it going to be like, I say, hold on a minute, and then I actually follow up in a minute? Or is it going to be, hold on a minute, and then I remember a half an hour later? Mm -hmm. And I think some of that potentially maybe causes her a little bit of anxiety. Hmm. Yeah. So there's lots to learn. So if we were going to continue to go down the functional assessment path with you and your daughter, I think there'd be a lot to explore, right? A lot to explore about how you would, what you would like to see happen, 
you know, as a, instead, if she wasn't whining, what might she be doing? That would, and what, how would that make things easier for you and your family? So we could, from the information we gathered, that would give us some direction about which way to go for intervention. You know, certainly if there's an opportunity to observe it in the moment and to figure out what you as a parent typically do in that situation or what you would like to do differently next time, you know, all the good information you get from functional assessment, even from just having that really good conversation can at least give you some direction, which guides what happens on your visit. Mm, Absolutely. So I think, you know, it's funny, Emily, I'm already thinking like, oh, I could ask you this and I could ask you this and I wish I could see it. Like I'm already going into provider mode, but for the sake of today, you know, we just wanted to give um, our listeners an example of what could happen? I think in the moment, you just have to think through, okay, these are the skills. These are the things that I would like to know. Or maybe it's even before you get to what I'd like to know, take the time to pause and just listen to the family and what they're talking about. Knowing that all the information you gather is not something like we talked about that we want to apply our biases to, or not something that we want to try to figure out, um, though, you know, why something's happening. We just want to listen and and be an open ear and then figure out where to go next. When you were talking, Dana, I was thinking about, uh, I know for myself, I'm not always so good at thinking on my feet and thinking in the moment. And I think it's also important that people know that it's okay to say to a parent, you know what, that sounds really tricky. And it sounds like this is something that you really, you know, want to explore more and have some support on. And so saying like, I just need some time to think about it. And let's talk about it next week after I have some time to sort of think about what I might want to observe or some questions that I might want to ask and, you know, think about what I already know about the child. I think it's okay to say those things to the parent and not feel like you have to answer right there then in the moment. And because some people are really good at thinking on their feet and always have the best and right response right at the tip of their fingers and other people need time to process things. And I think that's okay. I think that's such a good point because, you know, okay, if we're looking from a functional perspective, functional assessment perspective, we're always gathering information, but yeah, maybe we don't have to be ready to know what to do with it right then. And honestly, when you threw your example at me with your daughter, I was already feeling stressed like that, like, uh Oh, I'm being recorded. Am I going to know what to say? But I can, I can relate to that feeling in visits too, where you think I really want to help this family, or even I could hear it in your voice that, that's really hard. That's hard to know how to consistently help your daughter, you know, across you and your husband, how to know what to do. There's a, there's so many variables going on there. I think we're helpers, like we want to help. So I love it that you said we can give ourselves permission. We gather this good information, but maybe we don't have to have an answer right then. That's part of functional assessment is knowing what to do with the information you get, but maybe that doesn't mean what to do in that moment. Yeah. I think there's also benefit to that because when you you asked me a question and you know I I talked about that our response is inconsistent and to be honest with you I've never thought about that before and I've never thought about the impact of that on her and after I said that I was like huh and like (laughs) I already know I'm gonna go home to my husband and be like maybe we need to come up with a plan on like how we're gonna consistently react to to the whining and be really uh, intentional about our response and, and and let's just try out for the next week if we always respond consistently do we see a change in it and so like you, you might have been feeling like 
as the provider, you might have been thinking like, well, I don't even know if I really helped, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and we didn't get into like the whole further on back and forth conversation. Obviously, this is just like a quick snippet. But I think also just a provider realizing that like, you, you don't always know what the parent is thinking or planning in their head. Mm -hmm. And so it might feel like, oh, I didn't really feel that helpful. But if you give yourself time to revisit it, next week, you might come and I think this kind of goes into our next topic of ongoing functional assessment between visits but if we sort of you know talked about it a little bit and you kind of asked some of those initial questions and and talked about some observations and then we left it you might be leaving thinking I don't know if I was that helpful but if we bring it up again next week and I say to you like you know what I talked to Bill and we've been really responding this way and we've noticed that the whining has decreased and we don't feel like she's quite as anxious like you'd be like wow like they they did that just by me asking a question and then you know you'd be have the opportunity as the provider to say to the parent like look at that like you you came up with a solution how great is that like um, and, and really sort of um, affirming parents' competence and letting them know that they're doing the right thing. And that is huge. That is huge. And, you know, it makes me think maybe I'm having an aha moment here. Like the asking meaningful questions part that we've talked about with functional assessment so far, to me, has more been gathering information from the family, like when we're doing the initial assessment and all. But asking meaningful questions during intervention seems like it could have a deeper purpose, which is that reflective purpose. So when we're gathering the initial assessment information, sure, we want families to reflect on, you know, well, what does she do when she feeds herself? Or what is bath time like? But when we're trying to help a family maybe solve a problem or think through a resource need, asking meaningful questions isn't just about tell me what you know. It's also, I think, helping the family reflect on what they do know, but reflect on it in a way that might help them come to an idea or or maybe even a solution on their own. And ultimately, if that's what happens, that's way more effective than me saying, well, have you ever tried this? Or what do you think about this strategy? If if the if the conversation results in the parent having that aha moment and it, and it's helpful, that's the best outcome you can hope for. So I think, you know, we're, we're talking about that by doing this functional assessment, it's going to allow you to adjust your intervention. It's going to help you with tracking progress. You're definitely going to have a clear vision on what you're going to write on your progress note. Um, it'll give you information on when you want to request an IFSP and having the information like this functional assessment information really is going to make your job easier. And even like what we just talked about is if you can get, you know, potentially the the family to reflect, you don't, you don't have to come up with a solution at all. I came up by myself and all you have to do is sort of be the gatekeeper of that information and, and continue to check in on it and ask questions. And it's less about you coming up with the solution. Um, That's a great point. Take some of the pressure off the practitioner, especially those of us like me that are feel that pressure like oh I want to help I want to help when maybe the help is help takes different forms and you might not think off the bat well functional assessment is that part of the helping process I think it is it's really what helps 
it could be affecting what happens between visits for the family too, by asking those questions and, you know, taking direction from what the family needs during your visits, you're affecting what happens when you're not there. So when we think about ongoing functional assessment affecting what happens between visits, probably for both, for the family, what they're doing when you're not there, it could help um, figure out how to support them and then they carry it through. But it also affects, um, like you said, what we do between visits as we think about and prepare for the next visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, you know, also I think just being really intentional that we're always relating things back to the IFSP and, and what are the outcomes and how are these things that we're doing supporting the outcomes on the IFSP. Yeah, I know in Virginia, our progress notes are required to um, address coaching practices. So we need to address what happens on the visit, you know, how we supported the family, what did the parent do, what did the child do, um, really with an emphasis on the parent-child interaction. Um, So that has to be captured in our notes to show um, how the intervention session related to the IFSP outcomes. And I think um, there are components of functional assessment in those notes too with when we're checking up on the joint plan like what is the family report for progress you know since the last visit so it it might not even seem like in air quotes as if you can see that right ongoing functional assessment but it really is it's broken into our notes and i think that's important so that it's a great way for me as a practitioner when i'm in that role to know okay what did i do last visit it's a good reminder to help me track what i'm doing across time um, but also it helps me maybe see patterns too when i write out a note it helps me see patterns so that i can compare what happens from visit to visit and better track progress too yeah and i think from the parent perspective like what a better way to get buy-in and, and family engagement than to really be doing this functional assessment and be you know, always kind of looking and checking and asking and um, observing and relating it back to the IFSP. I mean, that's that's such a great way to get bring families in and really get them engaged in not just early intervention services, but engaged in, you know, helping so that they know how to help their child develop and learn when EI isn't there. Yeah, one of the things that um, has happened to me recently I've been thinking about, and I think we talked about on a previous episode, is I'm trying to think about the questions that I ask to check in on what happens between visits to get that ongoing assessment information. And um, I think you mentioned on one of our previous episodes, like if a practitioner says, is your child walking yet? Or how is she doing with walking? And maybe if she wasn't making progress, it's like a constant reminder that she's still not walking. She's still not walking. So I think with the ongoing functional assessment to check in on what happens between visits, it's probably good to be mindful about how you're asking the questions and how you're gathering information. Maybe as opposed to zeroing in on, is she walking yet? Which I hope no early interventionist would say that, but you know, how's her walking going? Maybe it's more like, tell me what's been happening this week. What kind of things have you guys been up to? And then you gather that functional information from just hearing about the everyday routines, activities, because a lot of times the struggles and the successes will bubble up from that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you guys in Virginia, do you guys use a tool to track sort of ongoing functional assessment or what does that look like? 
We, um, we aren't required to use any particular tool. Like our state office doesn't say you have to use one or the other. And that's true for the initial assessment as well as for ongoing functional assessment. But we are, um, we know our practitioners should be monitoring progress um, somehow. So sometimes folks do, they will keep a copy of the help or the ELAP um, handy so they can keep an eye on milestones across time. Um, we're encouraging our practitioners to use a newer tool called the MISER that um, is great for tracking functional progress because it really does look at um, typical daily routines and activities. Um, so we, we've we encouraged practitioners to periodically check in with a tool to track progress, keep an eye on what a child should be doing in terms of uh, what do we know about development. And that helps us prepare for the annual IFSP review. But I think the trick there is to be sure that we're not we're not teaching to a test. We all know that's not a good idea. Um, and I think keeping an eye on a test, though, or some kind of checklist, something just helps us check in on with our own expertise. The, the challenge is to make sure we're not making sure the child can stack blocks, but we're tracking the underlying skills that those milestones show us and then making sure that the child can do those skills and everyday activities to be able to do the things the family needs him to be able to do. So it's sort of with, you know, sometimes we can use a tool just to keep an eye, just to kind of eyeball the child's eligibility and, and keep an eye on those milestones, but using that information to make sure that the child's able to work towards the IFSP outcomes that are important to the family. So I think it's like a combination of using your expertise, using a tool, using what the family tells you and mixing it all together. So you have really good individualized intervention. How about you guys in Massachusetts? Um, I think we, 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 like you, there is nothing from the Department of Public Health that says you have to use such and such to monitor ongoing you know, progress in functional assessment. I think it varies. I know when I was a provider, I used to have parents. Um, the AEPS has like a really good chart that has arrows and it goes from one skill to the next to the next to the next and I used to like encourage some parents if I thought that they, it would be helpful to like put that on and then they could highlight the things that their child does and then have a sense of like what might be coming next mm -hmm. and getting them to sort of think about um but I, I think it varies greatly I think people in our system here in Massachusetts tend to um monitor progress more based on their professional expertise and their mm -hmm. informed clinical opinion. I'm curious with your state, do you guys recommend if, if they're sort of using a tool, would you guys encourage them to use the tool for all areas of development or would you have them look at the tool more for the area in which the IFSP outcomes are addressed? You know, I would say we encourage our practitioners to be global in their approach to development. So whether they're really using a tool or like you said, more relying on their, their clinical expertise, they should be looking at all areas of development, whether, you know, whether if you're a physical therapist, your expertise is the motor areas, but you should be keeping an eye on everything. Same for educators, speech pathologists, all of us. So, you know, that's probably a challenge for folks when they come into early intervention. You've got to know more than just your one area of development. Um, and we do that to help prepare for the, um, the six month and the annual IFSP reviews where we do check in on development, especially that annual review. We're not, we don't have to have a tool for the annual review either if, as long as all the information that has been gathered from the ongoing assessment across time provides enough information to have a good sense of the child's development. Huh. 
I think it's just, it, it's a it's a good reminder also that, you know, the research tells us that you can't tease out one area right. from another in the birth of three population. So even though, you know, with my daughter in the beginning, it was very much gross motor concern, but those those gross motor delays and challenges definitely crept into other areas and now have absolutely, as she's gotten older, crept up into other areas. And I think that's, it's just a good reminder that research tells us that you can't just look at one area in this specific population that we work with. Yeah. And I think that's something I like actually about the annual IFSP review is that we're required to check in somehow on all areas of development. So even if a child's only receiving service coordination as their only as their only service, you've got to check in and just make sure that, you know, if there are any concerns with any area of development that they're addressed they're addressed somehow in a way that that helps the family um, get you know meet the child's needs. So we've yeah we've taken with our um, periodic reviews and our annual reviews. I think there's just sort of an underlying responsibility of that practitioner to be keeping an eye on development somehow, so that you can provide accurate information when it comes time to to do that more formal check in. Um, and and I do think if we're doing a good a good job of monitoring progress doing that ongoing assessment throughout visits, throughout our interactions with families, we should have enough information because by the annual review, we should know that child and family pretty well to be able to provide a good summary of development. Yeah, we we here in Massachusetts, we don't necessarily do an annual, so eligibility is reestablished annually. Right. So we don't necessarily have an annual IFSP review. I think some people do that as part of reestablishing eligibility. Um, but I think you're right. Like if you're really being mindful and reflective and intentional about your functional assessment in every interaction, when you get to like the six month or the annual, whether it's a review or a eligibility determination, you kind of have all of that information. You, you, you don't you've been doing it all along. You you should have it all. It, it doesn't require you to ask different questions or, you know, prepare a, a different observation because you've, you've been doing it. You've been collecting it every visit. Yeah. And I think sometimes our practitioners will use that information they've been gathering to come to a place where they, they figure out additional support is needed. You know, I can remember as a educator, doing that, you know, gathering the information from families and coming to a point where I realize I'm at the in the, the, the edge of my expertise. You know, I need, this family needs more support with feeding maybe than I can provide or more sort with assistive technology or, you know, there might be something that because you've gathered good information, you know where the child is developmentally, you know, okay, this is a point where maybe it's time for an IFSP review or a consultation from another provider to, to provide additional support. And I think that's a good use of functional assessment when you can use it not only to just keep tracking progress and to inform, you know, is the child meeting or working towards outcomes, but also are we at a place where um, we need to reconsider, you know, something about the IFSP because maybe a new concern has come up or, or that whoever's that primary service provider, I guess, if you want to call them that, um, might need additional support to help the family too. So when I was an educator, that would definitely have been in feeding. That was not an area of expertise for me. Um, and there were certainly others too, but it was it was good to have that information and have my own clinical judgment to say, this is what I know, this is what we need to know, and let's bring in some help. 
Yeah, I think the the converse is also true. If you're kind of doing it throughout, it can also give you information to say, "Hey, it sounds like you're you're doing everything. Like, do we need to continue with weekly services, or do you just need me to maybe check in once a month because you don't you don't need my ongoing." expertise you you know your child you're confident in your skills you're competent you're you're coming up with all the suggestions and strategies on your own like do how much support do you really need to get to these ifsp outcomes that's a great point so i think both of us have kind of hit on the use of functional assessment information so it's not just an ongoing process that you just continue to, to do, you know, we're continuing to track progress, but we use the information we get. So it could be like we said earlier in this episode to help families problem solve. It could be to help figure out when an IFSP review is needed to consider changes to goals or services. But like you said, could be that we get to a point and we're thinking, okay, is our services still needed? So I think all of those are great uses, very purposeful uses of, of ongoing functional assessment. Absolutely. So I think, um, you know, when we think about ongoing functional assessment, we think about a balance between using what we know, tracking assessment, however that looks for you in your program, um, but also being sure to keep a good close eye on what does all that information mean for the child every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think, you know, we're, it's just a nice mix of tracking meaningful progress, using our expertise in child development as a guide, but also always um, with the eye on how is this child doing every day and is he or she able to accomplish the things that are important to the family. So, you know, ongoing functional assessment sounds like a big phrase, but we hope that those listening to the podcast can recognize the things that they're already doing, because I, I think when you're providing good support to families, you can't help but be assessing all the time yeah and also i think and i'll say this from a parent is like i know in my house our priorities are always changing like what was a priority yesterday definitely is probably not a priority in four four months you know like things come up things change different things happen you know the thing that's a hot button for you today might not be a hot button in six months and doing functional assessment ongoing really ensures that you know what family's priorities are and if their family's priorities change then you're going to use that information to guide your ifsp and guide your ongoing services absolutely so that's a great way to end this episode emily i think that's a good parting shot so we hope that you listening to our episode have enjoyed this episode and given you some food for thought as we've kind of worked our way through the different ways to use functional assessment in early intervention Um, so we hope you'll join us for our next episode where we'll be hearing from some others about the impact of functional assessment on them and what it's like for them to use functional assessment so thanks for joining us again and we hope you'll join us next time bye Bye.